welcome to Tramlines, a podcast from Agri. I'm your host, Tony Smith, putting your questions to the experts. In this episode, I'm talking fruit agronomy with agronomists Colin Bird and Ben Brown. I'll be asking about the fruit crops that these agronomists look after, what fruit growers are focusing on right now, and what can we learn from their approach. Fruit production in the UK is worth £875 million, according to the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. So, Colin, uh, you've been in the industry for a few years, I I gather, Um, and with all of your experience, but what fruit crops are you advising on right now? Hello. Specifically, mainly apples, pears, a bit on hops, a bit on the soft fruit, which encompasses strawberries, raspberries, other cane fruit and bush fruit. But as most of our farms are multidisciplined, we often get involved in the ancillary side. So it could also encompass hardy nursery stock, grassland, um, and occasionally even some arable. So whilst you're a fruit specialist, you're actually uh, you're able to cater with, with all those different crops. Uh, just interestingly on apples, because we'll talk a little bit more about this, but uh, I understand that there's those two different end uses, really. Do you treat the different apple crops very differently in terms of agronomy? No. Um, sometimes the inputs vary because of the, the value of the, the, the product. But whether, whether you're going for a processing end or a fresh market end, the tree still has to be kept in good health because without good health, yields always decline. And if you don't look after your trees, they prematurely age. So it's false economy not to to do enough of a job to keep the tree and therefore the crop uh, at maximum potential. Great. Okay. And uh, Ben, you've been up in East Anglia today. quite a way away from where you're, you're based. So what crops are you advising on? So I, I, I cover a variety of crops, but I guess it's primarily focused on uh, top fruit, uh, vines, and a bit of protected cropping as well. So kind of strawberries, cane fruit, that kind of thing. So quite a range. Uh, when you say vines, can you clarify what, what do you mean by vines? Um, so yeah, uh, grape vines, uh, primarily sparkling wine, uh, across the southeast, um, working with some some of these champagne houses that have come over, and a, and a few uh, few English growers as well, who are who are really forging, I guess, quite a new and and, and novel area, really. And, and looking at the uh, the national uh, statistics, it seems that uh, vines have really grown in terms of acreage. I was looking at the figures since 1975, and I mean, it is very much a steep line over the last few years and I can see that there's quite a concentration in the eastern part of the country. When you're looking at those crops, what's the real challenge um, between looking at a soft fruit um, like strawberries and a vine? What's what's different in your approach? I think it's probably a bit about the speed of the crop um, and definitely there's a lot of different pest pressures and, and different seasonality to, to the different crops. Um, vines obviously um, not much happening at the moment, for example, with a vine, it still looks pretty much like a stick. Um, but you go over and uh, the, I was looking at some strawberries earlier today and, you know, you've got green fruit full of flower and, and we, we're kind of looking at starting cropping in maybe a couple of weeks or so. As an agronomist, there's a, a lot to be thinking about there when you're advising your growers. 
Colin, just thinking about what you've seen over the years and, and more recently, uh, just now we were talking about how long uh, some of these crops are in the ground for uh, and growers having to think ahead. What, what trends have you seen in terms of changes in, in the fruit crops that you look at? Well, the, the biggest trends at the moment, Tony, are the change of varieties. Um, supermarkets, which are our primary customers, like season long supply. And as humans, we're creatures of habit. So if, if you tend to like one variety or one type of lettuce or one uh, type of citrus fruit, you tend to repeat by. And the supermarkets uh, tune into that and they want to stock those lines 12 months of the year. And so we've lost seasonality. So a, a lot of the pressure on the English grower now is to produce uh, a marketable product that can be kept in store um, for a lot longer than we used to do with traditional varieties. So the, the change in marketing, Cox was always a quintessential English apple. Many people will still know the name. You'd pick it in September, you'd finish marketing before Christmas. Now you pick Gala, you pick it in September, you finish marketing June. And they've got varieties now that are in store that potentially with the modern storage techniques, we can store 12 months. What impact does that have when there's, let's say there's a huge demand on a variety like, like Gala, for example, what pressure does that put on you as agronomists in terms of managing disease and pests, et cetera, managing those crops? Is, is there a real impact when there's a demand for a particular variety because, you know, the consumers want that variety, the supermarkets want that variety? How does that impact on you thinking about actually how you can help nurture and ensure that that crop is delivered on time and in the right quality? Yeah, interesting question. The, the, the real problem is the classic English weather pattern. It makes our life so difficult and we're always trying to ameliorate the uh, extremes that the weather puts upon the, the plants and how it stresses them and trying to calm down some of the activity, whether it's ex excessive growth or, or fruiting or the opposite like we had today, frosts that can have a reduction in the crop potential, which unbalances the tree. And the moment you have an unbalanced tree, it generally um, reduces the ability to grow standardized fruit that will store uh, across a longer period of time. So tell me a bit more about this unbalanced tree. <laughs> uh, it, it sounds, it, it's, it's, it's your talk there. So translate that one for me. <laughs> well, uh, one, one of the, the, the key words I've, I've always used throughout uh, my career has been you need to balance everything. So a tree has a, a structure. It has branches and on that branches it has cropping wood and that cropping wood produces flowers. Now you need the right amount of structure to carry the right amount of fruiting wood, to carry the right amount of fruit, that the roots and the light capture can maintain every year. There's no point having 100 tonnes a hectare in 2020 and having four tonnes a hectare in 21 because you stress the tree out too much, you've grown too much bud. If you do that, the tree almost certainly won't produce enough fruit bud for next year. Because it doesn't produce enough fruit bud, it then grows too much. So therefore, you have an unbalanced tree. So it's really interesting. So what you're actually saying is that in producing this year's crop, but in thinking about this year, you also have to consider the following year. 
and that's what you're saying in terms of get to get that consistency of production and quality of crop. Am I hearing that correctly? You you are hearing it correct, but think further. If you if you really upset a tree today, it will be five years or up to five years, depending on the variety, before you've rebalanced that tree. So thinking about these crops, as, as you were saying, Ben, when we spoke earlier today, I think you mentioned that Colin has a particular saying when it comes to pears, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah the old pears, pears be rares, as it, as it used to be. So this is really different to, to a lot of the arable crops, isn't it? And yet, if we come back to where we started, which was where you were talking about the strawberry crops, Ben, there, how's that different to what Colin's talking about when it comes to the uh, apples and pears? I, I, I guess I guess it's all all about you 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 are looking more after this crop at, at, at a specific point in time. I mean, there's so much variety with you kind of your June bearers versus your ever bearers. Um, I guess that's more that they're less looking at um, balancing the crop year on year, depending on cropping system, and more about balancing their 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 production across the farm. So whether that's you know, switching from your June bearers to your ever bearers and, and getting making sure that your your flower flushes and, and fruit flushes are, are balanced at the right time. Um, there is an element of looking after them for next year. Well, this all makes sense, but it, it it is really fascinating listening to you guys talking about these crops. It's something I never appreciated. Just um, thinking about actually how you look after the crop in season. I know that within fruits, you use uh, quite a lot of integrated um, pest management. Any examples you can, you can share with us? I, I guess the, the, the one that spring, springs to mind at the moment is um, um, anthocorids and pears would, would be a really big one. We do a lot of, a lot of things to kind of look after the, the, the um, populations of anthocorids. So they're like a, a pirate bug, so it's like a, a predatory uh, insect beetle type thing that predates on pear sucker which can do some serious damage not only causing like sooty molds on the fruit but also as we've been talking about affecting the pear bud for the, for the subsequent season but uh, a lot of people will look at kind of putting in in, in um, flower strips or, or leaving the alleys unmown this time of year to kind of help anticorrid populations established uh, some of my growers will be thinking about introducing some anticoids when when temperatures warm up just just a little bit more i guess the the, the issue with introducing predators is when they're grown in the lab they're a bit soft um they're not like so i've been seeing anticoids on farm round and about and they're hardy things and they crawl up in the crevices and they're in in, in the flower cl clusters predating on on pear sucker nymphs but you know, you, you take them out of the lab where they've been where they've been cultured nicely and in a in a nice cozy cozy um, test tube or whatever it is, um, getting food whenever they want it. Uh, they're, they're not they're not quite ready for it. I guess um, one example might be for for um, growers is, or arable farmers is we, we there was as we discussed earlier. There's been that trend for farms to grow and grow and grow. And with that, you got the growth of individual fields. So you'd go from smaller, smaller fields of, of pears surrounded by more wind breaks um, to bigger and bigger fields with less and less wind breaks because they take up cropping area. And that's led to less habitat around the outside of the fields for, for 
uh, hoverflies and and corys and other predatory species to, to move into the cropping fields. So you've got, you, you can often find when you go into the pears, the, the worst issues with pear stuff will be in the centre of the field and the outside will be completely fine and you get into that centre and, and that's where you start to see your issues with pear sucker because the, the predators can only move so far. And why would you move to the inside when the food's right in front of you? You know, they're lazy. <laughs> lazy pests. But what strikes me there is you, you need to understand, obviously, the pests that can affect the crop. But then also, you're clearly understanding, actually, the beneficial that you're using to control that pest. So there's a lot of knowledge going on there, Ben, and a lot of understanding of how you're using those tools to manage the crop. And, and Colin, do you, do you have an example of um, similar ideas that you use within crops? There, there's a multitude now. Uh, the the protective cropping arena, particularly strawberries and cane fruit, um, we 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 actually water the plants with nematodes. Which, if you're a potato grower, you know it fills you with horror. You start talking about nematodes in the soil, and here we are introducing them because uh, they control a particular uh, pest uh, like uh, vine weevils. Um, We've got a whole raft of mites um, and predatory wasps, uh, parasitic uh, insects um, that we will use to control a whole raft of, of pests, some in the soil, some, some on the, um, the foliage. Um, and what's interesting is that a lot of those actually are found outdoors, but they're never a big enough level to actually create a change in the pest population. But if you artificially introduce them, and a good one would be Neocelius andersonii, which is a predatory mite that we introduce into strawberries to control um, things like uh, thrips and two-spotted spider mite, is actually found in orchards in the wild, which controls our fruit tree red spine. So you're using a lot of different techniques there and tools, but obviously, working to great effect and in fact later on in these podcasts we're going to be talking to some other experts about uh, beneficials and enhancing the bee population on arable farms so maybe there's something there to learn from what you fruit growers are doing so successfully um right now uh we're talking you know early part of april what what are your growers really focusing on right now what's what should they be focusing on I think I think a lot of people. Well, it depends where they're at, really. But a lot of people have kind of come into their end potentially of, of first herbicides out, out outside, and I think um, we're, we're we're essentially just trying to get things set up for the rest of the season. So far, we've we've been quite lucky, I guess, with outdoor crops in that it's been quite dry, it's quite cold. A lot of people's minds the past few days have, have turned to the to the frosts that we've had. Uh, and I guess we won't really see what they've been like for a few days yet. You don't tend to see any frost damage turn up straight away. It usually takes about a week or so to show up. Um, but I guess we'll be keeping an eye on that and, and how that's going to affect the cropping for the coming year. And on apples, we'll, we'll be starting to think about insects and insect pests starting to show up. Um, but yeah, it's... it's um, quite so far but things are about to kick off in a big way i think yeah and for you colin what what would you urge your growers to be really focusing on right now <laughs> uh, catching up from the winter work that's uh, been delayed due to the 
the weather, the shortage of labour caused by the pandemic and uh, uh, other issues. Um, and a lot of farms are actually behind their winter work. Um, but in a way, that's, that is motivating them to, to, to get the rest of their workload in order. Um, ben sort of mentioned about weed killing and uh, pest control, but we are on the cusp of disease uh, pressure starting to ratchet up. Um, because we, we do have our brown bridge, as I call it, on arable, they'll talk about the green bridge. I'll talk about a brown bridge where our stuff lives on, on the wood. Um, and um, we, we have to protect against that as it starts to develop to infect new tissue as, it, as, as spring emerges. And, and the other thing is nutrition. Most of the trees have had their throats cut because they've been underwater for most of the winter. So they've got to regenerate their root system, which of course is their primary source of nutrient uptake. So a lot to be thinking about, a lot for uh, your growers to be having to go out there and, uh, and, and do within a very short period of time. Listening to all of your expertise, I'm really interested as to what you think other growers of other crops could learn from your fruit growers and learn from what you advise to your growers. Um, for, from my point of view, the, the government's going to actually start to pay you to develop that toolkit with the ELM system. Um, horticulturally, we've generally been practicing sort of good husbandry and creating habitats without loss of production, purely because there's a side effect either with wind filtration or uh, drainage for the soil, which can be quite important. Um, arably, you, it's always been funded by um, production and things like set aside, which are transitory measures, have never created a lasting habitat. Great. And Ben, a few, uh, what do you think growers of other crops could learn from the fruit industry? I guess it's all about that kind of sustainability and long, long term outlook that that fruit growers really have to have, whether that's investing in a glass house or, or, or investing in, in planting an orchard, because you, you don't really start to see the returns for, for quite a while, especially with an orchard. You know, you are thinking long term and about how that, that, that's going to grow and, and fit in with your, your cropping plan. And we, I guess with, with there, there are some problems where cultural, cultural solutions are, are the only thing that we, we, we have, like canker on apples. We, we are, yeah, there's some chemicals that will affect it in, in, in some way, but it's, it's, it's a more of a, a cultural battle in terms of what we're doing on farm, how we're having to grow the trees. To, to combat that disease and I think it's it's that long-term outlook. Thank you Colin and Ben for sharing your knowledge when it comes to fruit and it sounds like your growers have a busy spring ahead. That's it for this podcast but do tune in again as we meet the experts throughout the season exploring the many immediate and longer-term questions for growers and farmers in the UK. If you have any questions that you would like us to ask the experts email info at agri.co.uk. See you next time.